Hey, listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. We're going to get right into the podcast right away. But I got to let you know that coming up Tuesday, May 9th, we have a new event that we get to be a part of. Specifically, Andy Steiger will be joining Logos. For those of you who don't know what Logos is, it is an incredibly intuitive Bible study software, much like eSword, but on a whole other level. Here's the reality. We often get so many questions about the Bible, like, how can I trust solid biblical answers? How do I organize my personal Bible study time with God? What goes into writing Bible studies or preparing to teach the Bible? And lastly, what trustworthy tools and resources do I often use? We all understand that this can be overwhelming. So join us Tuesday, May 9th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and learn how to approach studying the Bible with more confidence by applying best practices that ensure clarity and accuracy. Dig deeper in the Bible for key historical, social, and cultural contexts that bring evergreen relevancy and application in today's ever-changing world. Learn about Logos Bible software and how to use this tool to find answers with the click of a button. Stop relying on Google for theology. Invite anyone you know who is hungry for the Lord and the riches of his word. We hope to see you there. For more details, you can head to apologeticscanada.eventbrite.com. That's apologeticscanada.eventbrite.com. That's all I got for you. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Steve. I'm your host for today. Troy is taking a break. But uh, let's uh, jump right into things. Uh, First of all, welcome here, uh, Wes and Andy. Good to be in your virtual presence. Good to be here, Steve. Virtual presence. You know what? Do you guys know the date today? Do you know what day it is? May 3rd. May 3rd. Do you know what tomorrow is? May 4th. May 4th be with you. Tomorrow is Wes. Tomorrow is... May 4th. So, wow. I just thought yeah. I'd uh, Where throw did that you out get there. That lightsaber. You know, that that was magical. Of all the things that could have happened, that was not you didn't expect on that one? The, my list. No. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you that are listening right now, Wes just legit pulled out a lightsaber, a blue lightsaber. That was kind of awesome. Well, it depends. What color do you want it to be? It can be. Purple or oh, blue, purple, or blue, or white. <laughs> now you're just red. showing off. Got green guy here. <laughs> As wow. of the date of this recording, tomorrow is May fourth. For all you Star Wars nerds out there, may the fourth be with you. S- speaking of dates, there's something else we should probably mention because by the time that this recording goes out, uh, Wes, you're going to be getting pretty busy. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, Troy is hopping on a plane. He's coming over to Ontario, and he's going to be co-leading the first Ontario Leadership Summit with myself up at Camp Madiba in the Muskoka area. So we're really looking forward to it. We have approximately 40 summitees who are going to be joining us for the weekend. We have a a lineup of great speakers, Um, Kirk Durston, uh, Jill uh, Royas, Alicia Galati, and Logan Gates, and then myself and Troy. So really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time of fellowship and um, learning how to be Christian leaders where God has put us. So yeah, exciting event. I'm looking forward to doing the first one here in Ontario and uh, kicking off for many more. I uh, wish I could be out there with you. It's going to be awesome. I'm uh, I'm officiating a wedding this weekend. Nice. Which I which I am looking yeah. forward to. This is part of the requirements by the way of being a pastor, especially when you've been a pastor for 20 years, you just kind of 
you're signing on to do weddings uh, for quite some time. That's awesome. Speaking of weddings, guys, uh, this weekend is also Sharina's and my anniversary. Oh, amazing. 13 years. Wow, congratulations. Congratulations, man. Um, Yeah, Sunday is our anniversary. So, yeah, it's it's been fun. Steve, if you're only 25, how can you have been married for 13 years? (laughs) I know, right? Uh, You know, I had to break it to you. That joke never gets old. (laughs) Never gets old. We have to keep reassuring ourselves that we're not actually getting older. (laughs) That's called denial. Um, (laughs) Bearing false witness. uh, Let's... um, yeah, let's let's jump into things with all of that said. Andy, you are the one who brought this topic to us. So why don't you introduce us to whatever it is that we are going to talk about today? Yeah, thanks, Steve. This is an important topic to get into. I wanted to talk about this today because I've been seeing this a lot on social media. I've been seeing this a lot on the news. And basically, it is this argument that has become kind of this trump card where if somebody's opposing an idea that you have, you just label it dehumanizing and you win. And in fact, I think, you know, it it goes by different names. You could also call this the Nazi fallacy, or you could call this the Hitler card is actually a technical fallacy. And and basically it's just to label something, you know, as all that's, you know, equated with, with Hitler. And one of the challenges with this is that anybody who's studied history, if you've looked at World War II, if you've looked at what happened with Nazi Germany, it's almost like now you can't even bring up any of that research that I actually think is incredibly important research mm-hmm. because now it's almost, you know, passe that, that that all of a sudden just becomes invalidated because, oh, now, now it's just become this uh, fallacy to equate something with Hitler or with uh, – the genocide that took place with the Jews or or any of the other number of genocides that that have taken place, although that one often mm-hmm. gets used the most. So I tend to actually appeal to other historical events. Yeah. Because I do think we need to learn from history, but it makes it hard to learn from history when people are using these out of context. So I think it is going to be an important conversation for us to look at and say, okay, when is an argument actually dehumanizing and when is it just being weaponized to try to win an argument? That That is an interesting point, what you bring up about, you know, Hitler card and you're using other examples of evil throughout history. because. If you look at the sheer body count alone, actually, uh, there are others that have killed way more people than Hitler. But Hitler somehow has kind of become the symbol of all things evil. Like you might, you know, Hitler uh, may as well be uh, Satan himself. And so, and, and when you bring that up and when you attribute that, oh, you're a Nazi or, you know, you're basically in alignment with. Uh, with Hitler, you're basically being told from, you know, to use the sort of the Christian language, you're in enlightenment with Satan, right? And so that's an interesting one. It's interesting on a number of fronts, by the way, because there is this universal agreement that Hitler's bad, in some ways is kind of a good thing, ironically, in that it means that society by and large has bought into an idea of objective moral values, that some things are right and clearly some things are wrong. And he was clearly in the wrong and on the wrong side of history, if you will. 
And so that, you know, you get this universal label, okay, that that's evil. And so that, that that's a good thing, at least, because now we're in at least agreement that there's right and wrong. The, the challenge, though, becomes, okay, well, how are we determining what is right and wrong? And then particularly, how are we determining when we're falling into some of the same ideological traps that the Nazis did that led to horrendous actions, not just, of course, with the Nazis, but with the Khmer Rouge or the other, again, the number of other genocides that have taken place. So in, in light of that, Andy, we have those tangible examples of things that have happened in the past. We have Nazi Germany, we have the transatlantic slave trade and the antebellum South. What do we see going on then today? How do we go from that? We see these clear examples and step into okay, certain things are being described as dehumanizing today. Are those legitimate cases of dehumanization? And if so, how do we use the errors of the past? And if not, how do we use examples of the past to try to give us a greater perspective? So I, I see this happening in a number of debates, particularly though, right now we're seeing this being used quite a bit with the LGBTQ different ideologies slash clashing politics in not just the United States, but we're seeing this really taking place all over. And particularly where I saw this as of recent, where I said, hey, guys, we really should talk about this is a is a video that was put out by CNN that we can um, post uh, on our show notes if, if people would like to take a look at this. But but in this video that that I was that I was watching, it develops this heated debate that that took place with Michael Knowles. Yeah, so Michael Knowles, uh, he's been in sort of this uh, controversy. I mean, he's always been a bit of a controversial figure because the guy doesn't mince words or whatever. But uh, there was this one particular thing that he said that uh, the media really kind of grabbed hold of. And that's when he said, transgenderism uh, should be eradicated. Um, now, a lot of media outlets really picked up on it because what he said was transgenderism should be eradicated. What uh, other people heard or wanted to hear was that transgender people should be eradicated. Um, right. because, and they you know, equate, as, then they equated yeah. that with genocide, of course. Right. So then you get into – that's why you brought up earlier the whole thing about – you know. Um, Nazis and Hitler and those kinds of things. Um, and so in this clip, uh, the CNN clip, what you see is people talking about, yeah, you know what, this is not a matter of debate. We're not going to debate whether, for example, you know, just as you wouldn't discuss debate whether murder should be legal, we shouldn't even debate whether transgenderism should be eradicated. Now, notice here what they're saying is, we're not going to debate whether transgender people should be eradicated. That's that's how they're basically phrasing this, right? Now, I now I, I think one thing that's important to always do uh, when you hear something like this. So, I was watching that video, and for just full disclosure, I have no idea who this Michael Knowles guy is. I've never I've never come across him. It's it's not like uh, it's not like I'm trying to give like some sort of argument for this guy. I I, I don't know him, but. When I heard this, again, I just got really concerned with this dehumanizing language being used out of context. And so I went 
and looked at what he actually said. And they've made the video available. You can see what he actually says. And this is something you got to be careful because the CNN clip uh, just cuts a snippet of it, right? It's just, it's just talking about a snippet of it and wants to use it in a specific kind of way. And we, we have to be careful when when that's being done because that's not, that's not fair to what was actually said, especially with something this significant that's being equated with uh, genocide. He said, if transgenderism is false, then for the good of society, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology is what he said. So, and then he later goes on to clarify, hey, when I made that comment, I was talking about the ideology. I was not talking about people. Andy, are you telling me that uh, I should distrust the media, that they're being disingenuous? <laughs> I can't believe that kind of statement. Uh, I have my wholehearted yes. trust in all media outlets, no yes. matter what. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this is, um, this is emblematic of something that we see m- more and more in our society, which is whether purposefully or unintentionally, the inability to disassociate an individual who ascribes to an ideology or a system or a philosophy or a religion or whatever, and that thing. And I think that's problematic in general, because this is uh, one of the things that I ran into when I was working for the student ministry that I worked for for a number of years. And I was regularly engaging on the university campuses with the Muslim student associations, setting up things like debates and dialogues and just having informal conversations. And the Islamophobia bill was going through in uh, parliament. And I really had to do some digging because the language in the bill, I think it was M103. I could be wrong on that, but that seems to be the letters and numbers that that come into memory. Um, But uh, the... (laughs) The part of the problem was that the language was so ambiguous that it actually did confuse and conflate in its original form. I think it was eventually kind of altered because I think they realized there were problems with it. That speaking against a particular thing within Islam as a religious philosophy and ideology was equated with then speaking against individual Muslims. And I think that that's just, at best, it's silly because you have all, you have a spectrum of beliefs that exist within you know, Islam, or for that matter, Christianity. And so to say, you can't say anything against this overarching concept, because that would be attacking individuals is just a it's a it's a category error that actually devolves into something very concerning about how we engage in public discourse. Agreed. And here's how you get that played out then with that, again, taking the CNN clip. You have uh, a transgender writer and activist who in this clip is saying, quote, our humanity is not up for debate, and then goes on to, quote, uh, I don't know why trans folk are expected to accept the premise that our humanity is up for debate. And so, again, what you see is this shift in in reasoning, right, is this like logical shift going you are are you arguing uh, against this transgender ideology but now i'm going to shift that into transgender people right and so to now to argue against the idea is to argue against the humanity of the person now that then could be equated with uh, islam as you were just pointing out wes or that could be equated with uh, any number uh, of of ideologies. Any system, really. If I don't like yeah. it, yeah, of any belief system, if I don't like it, then 
I just label it dehumanizing and, and now I win. Now, I do want to just, I want to be very clear about this though. So let me just take a moment to just provide some clarity. Transgender people are 100% human beings. They, they are, I hope everybody's just hearing me very clearly. <laughs> They're humans. They're absolutely humans. Muslims are humans, 100% human. Notice, and this is why I want to bring this up and where this just becomes so concerning to equate it with dehumanization. When the transatlantic slave trade was taking place, they did not see those people as human being, anybody specifically that was sub-Saharan African. Notice they couldn't say all of Africa, so they would say, okay, if you're from a specific place in Africa, you are, are not human. And you can see this played out drastically you know, with how they were treated, so enslaved. And and I want to bring up a couple things here, because when you look at these historical cases, who do you see fighting against this? Well, when Oda Bango was put into a zoo, the only people that fought against that, and I encourage you to go read it for yourself, go look at books like uh, Spectacle, uh, who fight against it? The pastors in New York are the ones who fought against it. Both white and black pastors fought against that. Mm. Uh, when you see uh, what, ha- where did o- Odebenga come from? He came from Leopold's hold of the Congo. Who fought against the Congo and who argued in, in an open letter against it? Again, it was a black pastor by the name of George Williams who went there, wrote an open letter, and, and argued against this, quote, crimes against humanity. I, I think that that's significant, right? That that has been a part of the Christian tradition to call out dehumanization. Now, I am not saying, by the way, Again, that that means that every person who's claimed to be Christian has gotten it right, because I could give plenty of historical examples of where they've gotten it wrong. But I would argue that they got that wrong, not that Christianity got that wrong. I would say that that person uh, got that wrong. To that point, Andy, I think, um, not to backtrack on the conversation too much, but uh, if you read the arguments by Christians who did things like, say, justify slavery or tried to justify those genuine in- instances of dehumanization, they're almost never theological. They're almost always sociological or biological. They they uh, they invoke mm-hmm. natural sciences or or I would say political. Yeah, yeah, that too. Whereas if you read people like the British abolitionists or even uh, the the black Christians in the South, um, they're, they're thoroughly exegetical and theological. And even the theological arguments that are used within, say, the uh, transatlantic slave trade, they're very surface level. In fact, I would argue the same kind of biblical interpretation that's used to define something like the doctrine of the Trinity, when applicably applied, when consistently applied to something like human value, gets abolitionism. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, not to backtrack, like I said before, but I think it is worth pointing out that it's the consistent testimony of Scripture that comes across in the historical witness of what Scripture and the Bible communicates about human value. Let me let me jump into something maybe a little more controversial. Uh, so I, I'm gonna so I'm gonna argue again that tra- people who identify as transgender are human beings. And I think you can absolutely separate the humanity from the ideology and that you can discuss that ideology and its political implications and the 
the political hot mess that seems to be going on in the United States and I'd say all over the place with regards to its implications. I think that those are valid things that need to be discussed and don't necessarily devolve into dehumanization or nor are they predicated on uh, dehumanization. Now, where, where I think you could actually make an argument that an ideology has dehumanizing implications and is 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 argued for, and I've I've argued this before, uh, and that is uh, atheism. So I think that there are forms, not all, but I think there are forms of atheism that are dehumanizing. Uh, for example, I think that uh, Alex Rosenberg's form of atheism is dehumanizing. I think that Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris's form of atheism is dehumanizing. Why is that? Well, because if dehumanization is is to reduce a person to an object or an animal. Well, we see different aspects of that. Now, and I'm being careful with my language here because I know that there are atheists that don't do it. They see the they see the flaw and they don't go there. So they don't want to take the evolutionary route to equate or to reduce a human to an animal, again dehumanizing, or they don't want to take the the route of uh, reducing a human to an atom or to their um, physical parts, an object. Uh, which, by the way, one of the reasons I brought up somebody like uh, Daniel Dennett is because he's well known for equating consciousness with an illusion uh, and others as well. And that ultimately is like somebody like Dawkins would say, you're just dancing to your DNA. Everything's determined. You really don't have consciousness. Rosenberg in his book, The Atheist Guide to Reality, makes this very clear. And why is that? Because he's, his, he argues the physical facts fix all the facts. And so there's one case where I'd say, man, I actually think atheism can be very dangerous because it can devolve very easily into a dehumanizing argument. Now, on the flip side, I think that Christianity needs to be careful too. Theology can also devolve into dehumanizing arguments. Now, we've, we've said a lot of positive things about Christianity in this podcast, but there are some, for example, there are some people that hold to a theology that original sin uh, destroyed the image of God in people, and there are streams uh, of theology that can devolve into a dehumanizing argument. So I think that it's valid to be—my point in this is it is valid to be concerned that dehumanization is real, and some arguments are dehumanizing, but I'm noticing that people have a difficult time distinguishing between an ideology that is dehumanizing, an ideology that's not inherently dehumanizing. Am I making sense there? Yeah, I mean, there's even a book that's pretty seminal. Um, I forget his name. Was it Lewis Carroll, Charles Carroll? I forget wh- which one it is, but he he wrote a book that basically argued that black people are not human beings because they didn't descend from Adam and Eve. They descended from animals and it's the white people that have descended from um from adam and eve i have no idea where that leaves me but uh maybe somewhere (laughs) in between i don't know um but notice again like he's he's making a claim based on this theology that i think um has no real scriptural warrant um because it seems to me that he's just kind of inserting something that the Bible doesn't even claim for itself. And so I have to wonder when I see these kinds of theologies, whether you are um, 
kind of you have your mind made up and you're simply trying to justify it using scripture. Having said all of that, I, I do agree with you, Andy, that you know theology can be uh, just as dangerous as the lack thereof. Yeah, I think it's probably the first Carol. I think Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland, but uh... okay, <laughs> it's probably probably a different yeah. way. <laughs> But even Not just to, to speak to that and to what you were saying, um, Andy, because uh, I, I think those are both really good points. Uh, I I think even atheists have kind of pointed out some of the speaking out of both ends of their mouths in this when Richard Dawkins wrote The God Delusion and he wanted to say, you know, uh, religion is this terrible, evil thing that we need to eradicate, but also humans have value and worth and we need to protect the vulnerable. There was a, an individual named Sam Gray. Now, there are two Sam Grays. So and let's get our authors, uh, not, not the Spider-Man Tom Holland, <laughs> not the uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland Carol, um, not the Sam Gray who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. That's a different Sam Gray. This Sam Gray was a philosopher from, I think it was the London School of Economics. And he wrote a... Oh, are you, are you thinking John of John Gray? Gray? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I can't even get my own authors right. Yeah. Um, there are two John Grays. This is the one I'm talking about. Uh, let's get his name right. Uh, thank you, Troy. Or not, you're not even Troy. So I don't know anybody's name. That's what I'm showing. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, good morning. Good morning, Wesley. Um, so John Gray wrote a series of essays called Straw Dogs, where he critiques Dawkins and says, yeah. basically, hey, you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want to say that you're a product of time plus matter plus chance and you dance to your own DNA and DNA neither knows nor cares. But you also want to say people have human values. And that's a Christian, that's a Judeo-Christian ethic. You can't borrow moral capital from them. It doesn't work that way. And it's a very interesting series of essays because I think for me, it showed that something can be rational and be completely false because he's very rational about it. I think he's, he's right. He's a consistent atheist. But he pointed out that there's something about it and I think this would be the image of God that we bear kind of shining through all of our suppressing the truth and unrighteousness to borrow Paul's language in, in wanting to still ascribe human, human value, despite maybe our justifications to say that this group are lesser than or that, that group is lesser than. I think at the end of the day, we see and should encourage atheists when they talk about you know, human value at all in any capacity because that is the image of God shining through. So j just, uh, yeah, it made me think of that when you two were talking, that the atheists give kind of this lip service to these ideas and de dehumanization, but kind of behind the scenes, their foundation is still something that wants to say, well, yeah, but I have value and my family has value. So where does that come from? I, I want to bring a couple, a couple things, though, that I saw in that CNN video that just, again, um, reiterate what we're talking about here. So they showed a clip, for example, of a sign that that some people were protesting, holding, saying, Jews say never again. And then underneath it, it says trans people will not be eradicated. So clearly, uh, again, what you have is somebody taking somebody speech out of context, and they are supercharging it from an ideology to a, a human being, right? They're, they're saying, oh, okay, this was, this was a dehumanizing argument by de facto. And, but ultimately, this just becomes, okay, I want to supercharge this argument, and, and I want to win it. And then another sign said, uh, please treat me uh, like a human being. So 
one of the things then that you see taking place in this in this video is how politics are getting played out right now. One of the things that gets brought up is this idea that debates for rights over minority groups always get converted into debates over free speech. And at, at least that's one of the major arguments that that this video is is trying to uh, develop. And, and I think that there's an irony here, particularly, I think you guys watched that video, but there's an irony that takes place at the very end where the interviewers interviewing this uh, law professor named uh, Mary Ann Franks. And Franks says, when someone backs you into a corner and says, I don't like your ideas, the easiest thing to do is for you to say, well, that's just because you don't like my free speech because you want to censor me. This is the coward's way. Your answer should be, here is my answer. Here is why my answer is interesting and why they are important. Not evoking some kind of quasi-constitutional gloss for what you have to say, for what you have to say. And I, and I thought that was so ironic that you have this lady saying this at the at the end of the video because i would argue that the entire video is making that you know that error but instead of a quasi constitutional it's a human rights quasi human rights you know gloss of dehumanization to avoid actually discussing the issue yeah i mean the whole video up to that point has been about is this even up for debate, right? Really? Um, right. We're, we're not going to debate whether trans people are people, whether they have the right to life, if you will. Um, but then at the end, uh, she flips it and says, well, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta actually give an argument here. You can't just make this move of power. You gotta make a move of reason. But that's exactly what we see uh, in in our sort of day and age, whereas everything is controversial. So much so that somebody can throw up uh, uh, as a as a joke, right? Throw up an image of a rock on the internet and say, you know, just to prove that anybody will argue over anything, here's a rock, right? And then you see people going back and forth, just joking about it right but that actually in every joke there's a bit of truth and right yeah. now we're in this uh time where uh th that kind of move of reason is hard to come by at least in any sort of a, a open public setting and so that 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 is a little ir ironic when you watch that clip and you hear her say that and, and just to be clear and i would be happy for anybody to point me into you know, into something that that I haven't come across, but I've yet to come across, and this is particularly true, at least of the guy that was being labeled as dehumanizing. But I, I've yet to be, I've yet to come across anybody that is saying that transgender people are not people. I, I've yet to see that if you embrace transgenderism, you are an animal or an object. I, I am not coming across that argument. I'm not coming across the argument, by the way. I've never seen anybody argue that if you are homosexual, you are not a human being, that you are either an object or or an animal, that somehow that somehow that, that reduces you to an object and an animal. Now, I'm not saying that transgender people have not been treated or homosexuals haven't been treated in dehumanizing ways, 
that they haven't been, you know, mistreated. That's different. What we're t- but what we're talking about here is is the argument that they're being dehumanized. I mean, because again, if we we're going because it often gets qu- equated with Nazi Germany and with the transatlantic slave trade. And when you go back and historically look at those documents, that is exactly what they're arguing. They are arguing that Jews are not human beings, so this is justified. They are arguing that sub-Saharan Africans are not human beings, thus this is justified. And so, again, I just want to bring this up that people see that this is not an equivalent argument of what's taking place and that this is actually a disagreement and not dehumanization. I think, uh, just to connect the dots, I think how sort of the the other side, if you will— I hate using that language, but are people, you othering who people are very much fighting for trans rights. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes you do have to other people uh, just to make your point clear. Uh, having said all of that, um, so people who fight for trans rights, why are they making this argument? Right, because earlier, Andy, you brought up you know like the the difference between the ideology and the person and i would hold to that distinction but i find that people who hold to uh, the lgbtq ideology they largely don't because how how you act right how you express yourself in terms of gender expression or your sexuality is closely tied to how you're feeling and how you how you feel has a very close tie to um your identity that this is how I feel. In order for me to be a, an authentic self, I have to be able to feel this feeling and live out this feeling. Otherwise, I would be an inauthentic self. And so, to deny that behavior or that that ideology is really the same thing as you denying their identity. And 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 then also in, in especially with respect to transgenderism, there is this concern that a lot of uh, trans people, especially the youth, who can't live out their uh, tr- quote unquote true gender expression, they commit suicide. So if you say, like Michael Knowles, that transgenderism ought to be eradicated, you're really aiding and abetting in in the killing of these trans youth. Right. And and so then that that's basically this happens at a massive scale. That's a genocide. I think that's how they make that argument. So the question that we really have to answer at some point is whether you can separate the person from the person's behavior in terms of human value. So that's a great point, Steve. And there's a lot there. So let's just tackle that really quickly. Uh, and I'll start kind of in reverse order. So let's start with the suicide argument, because I hear this this suicide argument a lot. And it's one of the reasons why I've been trying to introduce people to to stories that are counter to that narrative, because that that is a narrative argument where, where you'll hear, okay, here's so-and-so, or here's a friend, and they're suicidal. Thus, we must, you know, embrace their 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 ideology or feelings or whatever that might be so that they don't commit suicide. But what you're not hearing is all the other stories. And it was interesting because at our apologetics conference this year, we introduced um, uh, Samuel Perez, who is the other side of that story, where he embraced the LGBTQ lifestyle, and that brought him to uh, suicide. And so it was actually leaving that, that, that he left his suicidal ideations. And and so the, though, and I have plenty of those stories, but those aren't stories that that are being told, and and so I actually think the the suicide argument, uh, first of all, 
is is sad that there are people out there that that are feeling that way and that want to take their lives. So so please hear me. Like uh, those are again this bringing this back to a humanization aspect. These are human beings loved by God, created by God, and we don't want to see with suicidal ideations. But we also need to appreciate that that's not a good argument because that kind of an argument can be used to weaponize yeah. any sort of idea uh, that you want is, well, I'll commit suicide. And and that becomes problematic. And by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Ontario, there was um, a, a child that committed suicide and in their suicide note was about their ideology. And you're like, this This child has gotten caught up in a political debate where they think the best thing for them to do is to, is to take their own lives so that they can make a political statement. And and I think we have to stop at some level and think and ask ourselves, what's going on as a society, right? When we've got kids that are doing that and think that this is an appropriate way to make a political statement is by taking their own lives. Now, secondly, with regards to this idea what we would call in philosophy, the ontology of what it means to be human. So in other words, like what, what is foundationally, what does it mean to be a human being? And one of the things that we have to appreciate if we're going to have any sort of meaningful dialogue within the LGBT plus community, and, and I would say just actually secular society at large, is that the sexual revolution has had a significant ontological impact on our society in the way that we understand what it means fundamentally to be a human being, and that currently within our secular culture, and, the, and this gets into a whole other conversation, we define what it means to be human. Now, I'm not saying I do, but I'm saying our culture does this. Our culture defines what it means to be human sexually, that that your sexuality is directly tied to your human ontology in our culture. Again, I'm not in agreement with that. I'm in opposition to that. But that's how our society thinks. And that's where a lot of our disagreement comes. And I also think it's why many people think that if you oppose an ideology, you're opposing their humanity because they see them as tied. Yeah, it's related to your identity, right? And we see this even in subtle ways with things like romantic comedies that come out of Hollywood. You know, uh, you have male who's single and lonely. You have female who's single and lonely. They meet each other. All of a sudden, all the pieces are being put together. They're finding their purpose and identity and and something happens. They break up and then they come back together. You know, there's kind of a script to it. But at the, at the center of that, even though there might be uh, like a romantic, comedic aspect that we all think is cute, the the what's underlying it is that your ability to find your purpose and identity is wrapped up in romantic or sexual relationships. And that's hugely problematic. Notice what you're getting at here, Wes, which I think is a great point. That's not a gay relationship. That's a heterosexual relationship often in these romantic comedies. And then I think when you add something like gender identity into it, it's the other lie that you were talking about, Steve, with the fact that you are the sum of your actions. So you have a a particular proclivity. And so you are not a person who experiences same-sex attraction. You are gay. That is who you are. That is supposed to be expressed through every aspect of your lifestyle, from the way you talk, to the things you put on social media, to the things you wear, to the color of flags you put up absolutely everywhere. So, and, and 
these are, I mean, there are tons of things that sit behind the conversations that we're having. I think those are big ones that our society has adopted that come out of things like the sexual revolution and a lot of just the in, incorrect suppositions that sit at that. One of the implications of what you're saying then is that if it is humanizing to be sexual, mm -hmm. well, guess who's actually being dehumanized in our society today? Right. And, and, and it's easy. Go talk to a single person. Yeah. Totally. Go go ask your single friend how they feel. Right. Because right now they're the ones who feel dehumanized. Well, and as Christians, we deny this fundamentally because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a single celibate man. And he is the true picture of humanity. But what I also wanted to say was backing up to something you were saying, Andy, was part of this discourse analysis is that our our ability to rationalize has been so devalued and has been so um, brought down to such a basic level that it breaks apart and we're, we're not able to think through things consistently anymore. And that's why we confuse categories like ideology and individual, yeah. because we live in this age where we assume that arguments are rationale and we know a little about a whole lot because we can hop on Wikipedia and we can look up the first sentence and assume that now we have uh, exhausted the knowledge of humankind. And, um, but we don't know a lot about a little, we don't really delve into these topics deeply enough to think through the consistency of, oh, right. I am not the sum of my actions. That's hugely problematic. Uh, ideology is different from individual because so we're, we're just, yeah. we're, we're being taught what to think, not necessarily how to think. And I know that's a buzzword kind of phrase, but I think there's yeah. a lot of truth to it. Yeah. So as we, as we wrap up, then I think maybe a good place to land in this conversation is just to encourage people that, listen, when we come to the Bible, our desire is to learn of God's love for us and, and allowing God to teach us how to love other people. And that, an important aspect of the Christian tradition is to see the humanity of the other and that we hold that intention with our conversations with people, whether that be a family member or that be somebody in society, that we see them as fully human, but yet also that we can disagree with one another and that having debates and discussing things are important, but that those two things actually have to be held in tension. I see the humanity and I realize that I need to treat this person with care and dignity and respect, but I also have the freedom to disagree with that person. And that a democracy, I would argue, is the balancing of those two things. It's, it is the freedom to have an opinion and it is a freedom to work those things out as a society in the midst though of a society that sees the humanity of the other that we uh, don't mistreat each other we hold that high value and and yet at the same time we work out our differences with one another in the way that that we think and that this is going to be a, a crucial aspect moving forward to see us, you know, navigating out of the political hot messes that we keep seeing. And I would just encourage Christians, make sure to not fall into that Hitler fallacy, right? The Hitler Trump card to reduce something to dehumanization, but to see more deeply, you know, the issues at play and what's going on as we keep the humanity of the other clearly in focus. 
All right. That was a great wrap up. Thanks, Andy. And thank you listeners for joining us for this week's edition of the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. You can find us, uh, find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, and you can find us active on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So make sure you go like and subscribe and all those other good things. Uh, We'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, love God, do that first, and love people. Love God, love people, love people, love people.